Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast How Degrowth Can Save the Planet and Improve Your Well-Being. My name is Willem van Dort, a third-year BBA student at Winnesheim, and I produce this podcast as part of my final assignment for the course Human Flourishing and New Economic Paradigms. This podcast aims to teach you something about the main issues within our current economic system and introduces you to the degrowth theory, which could possibly solve these issues. Enjoy! The current COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in a massive health and economic crisis on a global scale. Governments introducing lockdowns and closing its borders caused a drawback of economic activities all around the world, resulting in millions of workers worldwide losing their job. The United Nations published that the global economy shrunk by an estimated 4.3% in 2020 as a result of the current pandemic. Moreover, the Growth Domestic Product, or GDP, in both developed and developing countries plummeted, which can result in a new financial crisis on a global scale. Numerous politicians have stressed out that major investments and support packages are needed to cause this current economic shrinkage to turn around. The common goal is to go back to normal as soon as possible, with a new growth in GDP as the key outcome. However, does a new increase in GDP actually translate into a new boost of human well-being, especially if it is not distributed equally on a global scale? And furthermore, will it become possible to save the planet from ecological disasters with our current grow-or-die economy? On a global scale, GDP is seen as the most widely used measure for economic and social development of countries relative to each other. Originally developed to measure the economic quantity, GDP is universally used to evaluate the economic quality of a country. Nevertheless, GDP ignores numerous essential economic activities of a country that should be taken into account. Moreover, the worldwide rivalry for growth in GDP results in dislocation of social structures of societies and increases pressure on the ecosystems. The failure of GDP to show whether a country's rate of growth is sustainable, as well as the failure to indicate or represent the degree of income inequality within a population, are two specific examples of this. However, for most current governments around the world expanding the national economy and therefore experiencing a growth in GDP are seen as the most beatific goals for a country. And that, as long as we continue to feed the economy, the invisible hand of Adam Smith will automatically ensure that the prosperity of the few leads to the well-being of many. According to Case Klomp, this is the core of the problem in our present economic system, as in current times, it is experienced that the opposite is the case. More prosperity now leads to less well-being, 
climate change, biodiversity loss, and the increasing number of burnouts are all issues inextricably linked to economic growth. By now, economic growth has become pauperized and does not necessarily increase happiness. In order to better understand the need of a radical change from the present market capitalist economy of growth at all costs, there should be taken a look at the main economic fundamentals that are embraced in the past, as well as the shifting towards new economies over time due to the pressure of innovation. Humankind began as cavemen hunting wildlife and collecting food in small groups. In this period of time, humans were nomadic hunters and gatherers. As the wilderness was dangerous and food was scarce, human life was tough. Ultimately, humans figured out how to grow food and sustain livestock. The excess of the produced output was sold and communities started to emerge. This was the beginning of the agrarian economy, lasting for around 8,000 years. After inventing the first machines, cities started to rise, and working in factories became the new standard. The industrial economy was born, in which humans worked in dangerous conditions with very little free time. Nevertheless, steady work and food on the table made life more comfortable for gross of the people at the time. However, the created machines that were widely used in this economic system were very polluting to both humans and the environment. This industrial economy was the first capitalist-driven economic system. This economic system is distinctive in the way that it is organized around and dependent on Perpetual growth. The system requires a never-ending increasing of extraction, production and consumption. In other words, if the system does not grow, it eventually collapses. After dominating for over 150 years, the industrial economy, built completely on growth, made place for the information economy. This economy emerged around 50 years ago, enabling humans to work with their minds more frequently with the use of new technologies, instead of mostly doing physical work. However, in the process of shifting and settling in this new economy, humans continued to lose the connection with each other and with the planet. This loss of connection between humans and the planet mainly resulted due to the still existing market capitalist mode of production and consumption in the current economic system. This economic system is trapped in a problematic dilemma. A growth in the economy damages the Earth's natural system and fails to address rising inequalities, while a slowdown of the economy dislocates the inner workings of the system itself. The current capitalist-driven economy 
needs to grow by a rate of around 3% per year, which seems like a relatively small number. However, this growth has an exponential curve, meaning that an average economic growth of 3% per year will result in an economy double its size nearly every 20 years. As the GDP is interconnected with the energy and resource use of humans, an annual growth in GDP will also cause an increase in energy and resource usage each year. As a result, humanity is crossing a wide range of crucial planetary boundaries and is therefore facing a compound ecological crisis. This crisis includes, but is not limited to, harmful global climate change, deforestation, ocean acidification and biodiversity loss. The global economy has grown significantly over the last 50 years and is nearly five times larger than it was 50 years ago. However, as a result of this economic growth, an estimated 60% of the world's ecosystems have already been degraded. Consequently, the relation between economic growth and environmental collapse is becoming clearer than ever before, with devastating impact in the near future if the current system does not change. At this moment, the listed ecological disasters that humanity is facing are only getting worse. On top of this, an increase of income inequality is visible in nearly all countries worldwide. In China, India, North America and Russia, income inequality has risen exponentially in recent decades. While income inequality has increased moderately in Europe, the consequences are also widely visible in this continent. Increasing rates of health and social issues, lower rates of various social goods, lower population-wide satisfaction and lower population-wide happiness are numerous results of this growing inequality. An explanation of this is given by Mastini and I quote once basic material needs are satisfied, extra individual income is devoted increasingly to positional goods. Positional goods are goods valued only by how they are distributed among the population and not by how many of them there are available in total. In other words, these goods are valued because of their limited supply and because they convey a higher relative standing within our society. Examples of positional goods are luxurious handbags and customized yachts. It is therefore not growth that improves social well-being in advanced societies, but an increased income equality. To summarize, the existing economic structure is causing both ecological and social environments to deteriorate across the world, and drastic reforms must be implemented to avoid catastrophic environmental crisis, either by choice or by force from nature. However, mainstream economists frequently claim that humans should continue to pursue eternal growth 
and gradually extinguish GDP from ecological and social impacts, thus making economic growth green. This can be seen as decoupling of economic growth. Decoupling is a process in which, as efficiency improves, economic production consumes less energy and raw materials. Unfortunately, these so-called green growth goals are widely perceived as unrealistic. To this day, there is no proof of long-term durable absolute decoupling of GDP from the resource usage, and all current models expect that it will be impossible to achieve this, even under optimistic circumstances. With no existing evidence for absolute decoupling, it seems that realizing sustainable development will become more difficult than most people presently believe. As a result, numerous scientists and ecological economists from all around the world are stressing out that the new ecological macroeconomics is needed, which is not purely focused on economic growth. Ultimately, this can lead to a new economic paradigm. This new ecological macroeconomics without an ongoing need of pursuing growth, is called degrowth. Jason Hickel states, and I quote, that degrowth is a planned reduction of energy and research throughput designed to bring the global economy back into balance with the living world. The degrowth theory advocates for societies to place a greater emphasis on social and environmental well-being, rather than placing a priority on economic profits, which often go hand-in-hand hand with massive overproduction and excess consumption. Furthermore, the degrowth theory envisions a world in which communities can work within their ecological means, with the use of localized economies and more evenly distributed resources by introducing innovative democratic institutions. Such degrowth-based economies will no longer be forced to grow or die, as our existing economic structure requires. Simultaneously, degrowth aims to minimize inequalities and improve the well-being of humans by implementing procedures such as job guarantees, a shortened working week, and perhaps a universal basic income. When someone hears about the degrowth theory for the first time, it is not hard to assume that this new sustainable economic paradigm will result in rising poverty and hardship. Moreover, people tend to believe that the degrowth theory is being anti-progress. However, this is far from the truth. In fact, innovation would still be vital in a degrowth society, but it would be redesigned to focus specifically on social and sustainable goals. These investments are aimed to increase the access to universal public goods and services like education, healthcare, housing 
and transportation. Furthermore, solar energies, sustainable technologies, green companies and climate adaptation are seen as important investments in the degrowth economy. Research that is done by economist Peter Victor confirms that the most important factors in transitioning towards a sustainable economy are structurally redesigning the investments as well as restructuring the labor market itself. In addition, it should be pointed out that degrowth is not equal to experiencing a negative GDP and is not about reserving GDP growth rates. This occurrence already has a name, recession, and is incomparable to degrowth. Degrowth is a well thought out, consistent plan that aims to fight the environmental footprint, reduce increasing global inequalities, and improve human well-being. Recessions, on the contrary, are never intended and do not aim for any of these results. In fact, they often do the opposite. According to a recent study, numerous peer-reviewed journals on the degrowth theory align with three broad goals. These goals are identified earlier and will be listed clearly in this section of the podcast. Cosme, Santos and O'Neill, all economic and ecological researchers, claim that the first goal of degrowth is to reduce the environmental impact of human activities. The second goal is to redistribute wealth both within and between countries. And the third goal is to foster the transition from a materialistic to a convivial and participatory society. To achieve these objectives, a degrowth society will require a variety of innovative institutions and implemented policies to succeed. When it comes to reducing the economic production, degrowth theory needs to take a radical but necessary selective approach. It aims to heavily reduce environmentally damaging and socially unnecessary production. Several examples of this are the production of polluting cars and meat. On the other hand, degrowth will seek to improve socially important sectors such as education, healthcare and conviviality. Second, degrowth will introduce numerous measures that aim to prevent unemployment and even improve employment within a society. Shortening the work week, establishing a job guarantee with a respected wage and implementing retraining services to get workers out of sunset industries are examples of these measures. A sunset industry is an industry in decline, one that has passed its peak or boom periods. Despite a decrease in global economic activity, degrowth is specifically concentrating on preserving and developing people's well-being. The introduced policies in a degrowth economy are therefore also unrelated to economic crisis 
that result in widespread unemployment and a lack of jobs for ordinary citizens. Third, a study from economist and ecologist Richard Douthwaite proposes to create non-debt money. Various societies have effectively used non-debt sources of money in the past. Since governments can decide to print more money due to corporate pressuring, an objective currency authority should be in charge of issuing new money in this scenario. To maximize the benefits of such a policy, it should be implemented on a regional scale. This would allow regional devaluations, limit wealth circulation specially, sustain adequate liquidity, and reduce regional exposure to monetary problems elsewhere. Nonetheless, achieving a degrowth transition in the short term to prevent runaway climate change and habitat destruction will become difficult. The main reason for this is that individuals are still overly exposed to social status. Moreover, mainstream economists are doubting the possibility that humans can say enough is enough. We as humans have more than sufficient goods to go around and must begin seriously to limit output and consumption. Economists are skeptical of the possibilities for such self-limiting behavior. Therefore, it is stated that only improvements in the underlying economic system will lead to a shift from narrow self-interest to collective behavior and from relentless innovation to thoughtful maintenance of things that matter. Despite degrowth's grassroots level of origin, this transition towards a sustainable and social economy will be implemented most efficient and organized in a top-down approach, which will necessitate a high degree of governmental intervention. However, it is important to realize that certain top-down policies may have indirect results of triggering bottom-up action. The plan to shorten working days is a good example of this. Many people would like to have shorter working days but this will only become possible if institutions are reformed to allow them to do so. Nonetheless, several countries worldwide are making great steps towards a society in which not the economic growth is seen as most important, but instead the well-being of their people. Scotland, Iceland, Wales, Finland and New Zealand are all members of WIGO, the Wellbeing Economy Governments Partnership, which aims to further improve the understanding and progress of their shared drive to create inclusive well-being economies. When looking at the Netherlands, a shift towards a new economy in which growth is not fundamental anymore is also visible. This can be seen, for example, in the form of energy and food cooperatives, where people regain control over their own lives and make themselves independent from the government 
and a huge corporate influence in our current economy. In conclusion, it can be stated that due to the ongoing worldwide pressure of GDP growth, driven by the current capitalist-driven economy, humanity is crossing a wide range of crucial planetary boundaries and is therefore facing a compound ecological crisis. Humans are running out of time to make a change, resulting in both economic, social and ecological disasters in the future. In order to stop this, a radical but essential rethinking of growth, well-being and development is urgently needed. Degrowth offers a solution to these problems, which will not only prevent ecological breakdown, but can also increase the well-being and economic situation of our civilization. Thus, let us not go back to normal after the current pandemic, in which societies will experience more and more ecological, economic and social disasters. Instead, let this be a realization to start reshaping the economic system for good, before it is too late. This is the end of the podcast about degrowth. Thanks a lot for listening and I really hope that you enjoyed it and learned new things about our current economic system and the flaws it has. Moreover, I really hope that you learned more about the degrowth theory as this can positively make an impact uh, towards our current economic system and improve the well-being of our society. If you have any questions or remarks about the topics I talked about during this podcast, please do not hesitate and let me know. This can be done through nearly all social media platforms where I am on, such as Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook.